much, and uh, thank you for leading worship the way you did, and, and just uh, brought a good presence of the Lord. I, w- I want to tell you a few things about your pastor. He's the real deal. I've been, I, I know a lot of pastors, I, I hang out with a lot of pastors, and uh, when I get to be with him, and we talk probably weekly, every other week if, at the least, and just see how he's doing all that. You know, he has never changed my mind about how quality he is. He's, he's never done anything, or he is solid. And so the guy you get up here is the guy you have out there. And I want you to know that you should be very proud of him and, and Gwen. They're, they're just solid family. I love being around them, and it's been such a blessing. So it's an honor to be here, and I love doing that. I want to, before I get into this message, I feel like I have two things from the Lord, just a couple of words. And one is, I, I, I don't know anything that's been spoken over this church uh, and how long it's been, but I feel like the Lord just is saying, I want to re, uh, remind and reaffirm uh, a word that He's given this church. And I, some of you may know, I don't know if it's, if it's one that's been really known, I asked Pastor John, but it's an outpouring in this church, a pouring out. Uh, the word was pouring out in this church. And I don't know if that's been a word that's been spoken, it's been known, or maybe something that's been spoken in a while, but that's still real. Uh, that's still a word of the Lord. And I don't know it, I, but uh, I want you to know He knows it, and He spoke it, and I'm just here to remind you of something He's already said and that He's going to do. Um, here's the other uh, word that I feel like God wants to share and that is for um and and i think it's for more than one person but uh morning is over not in, not like the, the good morning but the sorrow the morning is over uh it it's time uh, i feel like god says um uh you've weeped long enough you've wearied yourself long enough uh you struggled long enough it it's over it, it's over, and it's, there's just been some deep sorrow that you've struggled with, um, and and uh, the Lord said it's it's time, it's time to move on, and you need to grab a hold of your future because God's not holding back, He's not limited to what what you've experienced. It's not that He doesn't love you; He's just saying you're really deciding how long this is going to last. And so today you just need to decide that's enough. Uh, it doesn't mean that you won't have some more hits with it, so a little more struggle showing up. But um, what, what I feel like the Lord is saying is you hold uh, the future of moving on and what God wants to do in your life. And so I, I do want to pray for you in that area because there are, uh, it's a way that Satan loves to manipulate us and keep us bound to things that may have happened, unforgiveness and all those. You forgiving. Here's what I felt like. You've forgiven. You've tried to negotiate and deal with the issue, and you've tried to move on, but it seems like either that party won't change or some of that's not changing. And listen, it probably won't change. Okay? And it doesn't mean you're not loving because that's the accusation of the enemy. The enemy is trying to get you to feel like you don't love enough or they would change. That's works and that's not of God. All right? So you need to release and move on. 
and bless those people. That's how you do it. You bless them. Okay, you, you just release them and say, God, I bless them and I move on. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, for those that have just been challenged with uh, a, the extra load of responsibility for a relationship or situation that has gone bad or has wide off on the road and uh, everything's been done, uh, even the sense of, of, of counseling and finding out if there's been any part or wrong on our part. And so, Lord, you're just saying today's a day of releasing and it's a time of moving on and you've acknowledged your part in it. You can only do that and you can only act according to your part of it. And so, Lord, today we walk freely in you. We thank you that you're just saying it's time to move on. It's time to take the step forward. And God, we thank you for that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, good. So move on. <laughs> And so we're going to do that. So this morning, I'm going to share. And by the way, I love coming here. I want you to know that. I, I instantly feel connected. I love being in this atmosphere. And I love being part of this church. So thank you for allowing me to come and share this morning. But what I want to do is I am actually sharing the last portion of this series, Start Here. And I'm, I'm, I'm preaching on the eighth part of this message series. And Pastor John trusted me enough, and I appreciate that. But here's some things that y'all have already gone through. I just want to hit the, the high points of what's gone on in the last few weeks. And it is, who is Jesus? Uh, mistakes versus sin, because the world's really having a tough time with the word sin anymore. It's, we've just made a mistake. It's like, no, you really, you, you need restoration with God. Um, trust, gaining God's approval. Rules, family versus club, and uh, I bet that was a good one. And uh, forgiveness, is this only when I get here? Y'all, uh, Forgiveness, what can wash away my sin? Grace, and then uh, last week, faith, don't stop believing. And, and today, I'm, I'm going to talk on the invitation, the idea of coming to God and allowing God to uh, speak to your heart. And I feel like uh, maybe this morning, that you have asked God, uh, you're very passionate. There's no doubt this church is a passionate church, but that you have embraced the Lord, but He may be asking a new step or another step of trusting Him in a new part of your life. And as we engage with Him, uh, uh, what I'm going to share is your story and part of your story and needs to be central part of it. And And as you're either considering embracing Christianity or you have embraced Christianity, and it's a very vital part of your life. We're going to talk about that today. So we're going to read here in Matthew chapter 16. You can turn there if you want to. Uh, Matthew 16, where we will be speaking this morning. But Matthew was a tax collector. He was a, a, a man who uh, was not a believer, but he was actually despised of all people because he, uh, he worked with the Romans and collected taxes on behalf of the Romans. So he wasn't the nicest guy, but he was the one who is uh, acknowledged of writing Matthew, first book in the New Testament. And <clears throat> as he uh, wrote that, Jesus makes this declaration, and he makes a proclamation when there were only 12 apostles. And they were, um, uh, they were walking to, uh, they walked 150 miles north of Jerusalem to a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi, some theologians theorized that 
some of the reason for this conversation that we're going to read about here in Matthew 16 is because they came to this. It's not quite the city that Jesus walked through that day. But this was a very incredible, just a moving community, city. It was well known and people came to this area. And Jesus and his disciples were standing just outside this city about to enter into Caesarea Philippi. And the theologians summarize or, or theorize that the reason they were on this topic is because only 18 years before, they changed the name of this city uh, to represent Caesar um, and to acknowledge him. It was when he died, they named this city after him, changed the name of the city after him. And it's real likely that the disciples and Jesus were walking to this city and kind of was talking about the name change. I remember when this was, you know, whatever the name was, the city, and they were uh, communicating how the uh, wild it was like, how many times they'd possibly been there, and uh, that Caesar Augustus was living, the first Roman emperor died, and they named it after him. And Jesus' disciples were walking to the city discussing this idea of what happened, and Julius Caesar, who was the adopted son, I'll just give you a little clip of the history. Julius Caesar, the adopted son of Caesar Augustus, was uh, become well known and, and had been, uh, Caesar Augustus actually had been deified. If, if you don't know that, he, they considered him a god, so that made Julius Caesar, his adopted son, the son of a god. And so maybe this kind of picture starts kind of setting up the story here as Jesus is walking in Caesarea Philippi. And uh, this is where Jesus asks him this question in Matthew 16 and verses uh, 13 through 15. It says, who do people say that the Son of Man is then? And you can see that because this Julius... Uh, Augustus becomes this incredible deity kind of person and, and, and all this story is right there. And he goes, who do you say that I am? And, and he says, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And, and it was interesting that they were all around, there's 12 possible answers. And, and, of course, uh, you know, you want to have the right answers when you're talking to Jesus, right? I, I was substitute teaching in, uh, uh, in elementary school over in Las Colinas, and this little girl comes up to me, and she has a, about four or five other girls in her posse, and they're so excited. And I'm going, well, what's, hi, and she goes, I, I really hate to bother you, but i got to ask you. And I said, okay, what, what do you need to ask me? And you can imagine, what are they going to ask me? And they said, are, are, you, are you the actor in the movie Big? <laughs> and if you haven't seen that, uh, um, that <laughs> but I have black glasses down. I meant to wear this morning. These are my working glasses, and then I have my black ones that's not all scratched up. Well, 
I'm like, should I be offended at this? Or and and she's going, are you are you, are you him? Are you him? And I go, yeah. And they go, really? She just says, and I go, wait, wait, wait. You know that was an animated movie. She goes, yeah, I know. I go, do you know what animated is? Like cartoon? She goes, yes, I know what that is. And she goes, you're him though, aren't you? You're him. And I go, yes, I'm him. And she goes, all the girls start jumping up and down. He was in a movie. I lied. <laughs> but if somebody says, who are you? I would never think in a million years I'm the character I'm big. I wonder what, who you characterize to somebody else. But here's what, what the response was when Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. He says this. He says, you are the Messiah. This is Peter. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Great answer. Especially in connotation of what's going on. You know, this city represents a, a God to men, but you're the son of the living God. We know that this city's named after a dead God, but we are walking and talking to a living God. And this morning, you experienced His presence. He's still alive, isn't He? Still moving, still very much alive. Do you know when you say something too smart for yourself, you know, you, you just go, wow, that was brilliant. And I didn't even think it up. It came right out of my mouth. And that's what Jesus did when, he, when Peter says this. Peter goes, hey, you're not even smart enough to say that. I want you to tell you why that came out of your mouth. My Father gave you the words. And those words came out of your mouth. And Peter's going, wow, that was great. Don't you love it when God says something smarter out of your mouth than you could ever think on your own? And I, I love the brilliance of God. And God wants to do something in, in this place, in this church that is brilliant. You know what? In your pursuit of God, you're going to look a lot smarter than you are. And, and you're, you're going to make decisions that you probably may not have made without the entailing of God in your spirit and your soul. And God wants to continue to do that, but Jesus looks at him and says, hey, hey Peter, you're, you're, uh, you're not that smart. Actually, my father put those words in your mouth. And, uh, that, but you're right. Right answer. Thank you, Father. You know, right answer. And then he just says, um, and, and then he says in verse 18, he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's not going to happen. Here, here's what, let me say it. it it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that uh, no matter what the economic system, political system, racial system, no matter what the educational system is, it is not going to stop this bus. It is going to move, it's going to happen, and God is going to... You know what I've seen in churches? This is why I'm excited about this one. I, what I've seen in the, the churches I've gone to, the people who believe this are the ones who see people come to know the Lord. And the people who believe that the political system, the economic system, the uh, ethnos of the community really dictates the power of God and the behavior of God, are the ones who never see the move of God. And it is this point, it is this scripture, it says, and on this rock, I will build my church. I need that back up, brother. <laughs> I, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell itself cannot come against it. It's not going to stop it. But those who say there's certain things that keep getting in the way, keep getting in the way, and I keep having a mental picture of this guy, when the water was stirred, he was sitting on the side, and of all the people that Jesus goes to, he goes to that one man, he goes, there's nobody to put me in the water. And Jesus goes, what do you want to do here? And I think sometimes he asks us, what do you want? Because you know what he can do. But what do you think you want him to do? And here it is for a few hundred years, Catholics and Protestants are argued whether it's, it's Peter, is the church was built on Peter, or Protestants think it's a revelation of what Peter said, and it's all of that. But the really true grounded thing is, I believe, the key point of this conversation is not who is the rock or what is the rock, but the key point is that Jesus made a bold claim by saying, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have it happen. And it's going to be astounding when it happens. And at that point in time, Jesus and his disciples spoke Aramaic. And when they wrote the Bible, like Matthew, when he wrote his portion or his portion of the Scripture, he wrote in Greek. And when he wrote that, when he sat down and tried to describe the word that Jesus said, I will build my church, his Greek word was ekklesia. Ekklesia is, is a Greek word, and it means this. It means gathering, assembly, and congregation. And it's quite different than the idea of church. Church is actually a German word which was superimposed in the translation of the Greek Scripture into you know, some of these, you know, just a simile of God church. You know where that name came from? It was through the revelation of Ecclesia. The revelation of what it really meant that God was not into this institution of a building and system, but God was moving in a group of people. And Ecclesia, God will not, uh, God says nothing will stop this bus and it's not going to get in the way because I'm going to raise up this gathering. Remember, he, he and the disciples are about to step into a Caesarea Philippi and there's only 12 of them and he says, nobody's going to stop this bus. And they're going, yeah, there's only 12 of us. And one of them was Judas. That wouldn't help in the odds. I remember I was assistant coaching uh, football, a football team at our Christian school. And man, we got these guys and they thought nobody can beat us because they were so sold on how good their uniforms were. They, they were absolutely, you could not get into their heads. These guys that you're going to play, they're going to hit you really hard. You don't get it. And we tried in practice, get them hit each other and hit each other. And, and so just to get, realize your uniform's not going to win <laughs> the game for you. And the very first play of the game, they hike the ball, and one of our guys go, ow! <laughs> we said, time out. We called all the guys. Don't say ow. Are you crazy? <laughs> you don't do that. You don't say ow in football. But it, what happens sometimes, the church is going, hey, we're in this. Game. 
is there's going to be an enemy that's coming against you. But here's what Jesus, I don't care how big the devil is, he's not big enough for your God. He's not big enough to take your God. And it may be hurting, and it may be tough, but grind it out. Your uniform's not going to get you as a ticket. It's your tenacity to believe that God's not going to stop this bus. And you're on the bus. I got my seat on the bus, and I'm moving with him. And this common Greek word that Matthew wrote down was ekklesia. And I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build my assembly. I'm going to build my congregation that is going to be a movement. And then there's this tragedy in translation where they put, I will build my church, this German word that they use. And that word, actually the German word means house of the Lord. It, the, that house of the Lord. Well, that's not a bad word, but it, it's the reason why you see they institutionalized the church. It was the house. Now, I remember going, well, we're going to go to the house of God. Well, we are, but we are the church. We're the ecclesia, and God moves in the people of God. We get to come together and have dinner together every Sunday. That's what we're doing. But we're the movement of God. You're the gathering place. So instead of the world interpreting as gathering, assembly, or congregation, it was church denotes a place, the house of the Lord. And what we need to understand today is this. Jesus did not predict the place but Jesus predicted a people. And when He was standing there with His disciples, He was predicting a people. And He's going, and they're going to come. And disciples are going, okay. Uh, all right. Can you imagine this prediction that He had that there was going to be this great movement and it wasn't going to be a place, but it was going to be a people. And these guys, these disciples were trying to get that. William Tyndale is the first person to have translated the Greek uh, New Testament into the English language. And because of that, he was a brilliant man in the 16th century. And because of that, in his, in, in his uh, interpretation or his uh, translations, there's been hundreds, about 900 translations come before or because of that. He spoke seven languages. He's a brilliant man. He was a priest. But he kept coming to this point of this justification by faith. He kept kind of like what Martin Luther did. He just goes, there's something in when he started interpreting this. But when he got to Matthew chapter 16, and he read that, and he saw ecclesia as being a congregation assembly, it went totally against this big church idea. It came to this going, it's us, it's us. And he got in so much trouble over it, they denounced him as a priest, and they started searching for him. It took them two years to find him. They took him. They put chains around him. Actually, he was on a cross. His arms were out. He was tied to a cross. They put a rope around his neck and pulled this rope and choked him while they were burning him at the stake. And here's what he could cry out, what he gasped out. God, let the king see that your word is true. That was his words. God, I, I, you know, the people that you and I will never know that set freedom for us, created freedom for us, and paid a price for it dearly. We're, we're so, we should be so grateful. 
We read later that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, ended up going back to Jerusalem. And Jesus was arrested and Jesus was crucified. And in that moment, if you ask his disciples who Jesus was, after Jesus had died on that cross, they probably struggled to go, I really believed, I really did believe. But these are the same guys that scattered when they nailed him to the cross. They hid out and, like Peter, just cursed. And they wasn't sure if what Jesus was saying was true. But man, three days later, those same men who watched him die and ran and fled and hid out and, and did some things that they really was painful to their Lord. They stood confident and courageous because uh, they had seen this risen Lord and this Savior. And after Jesus appeared, he gathered a handful of those followers together. And, and they, it, they estimate possibly 120. And, and Jesus tied his prediction that he had made on Caesarea Philippi, right outside that city, to this point as he stood before him that day. And he said this in Matthew 28, 18. He says, it, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's powerful. Because if you raise from the dead, you start really believing the guy, right? I mean, if the guy who was absolutely clearly dead is standing before you, and he goes, all authority, not only on this earth, but all in heaven has been given to me. And this is part of your testimony. It's not your faith, it's his ability. It's not just, you're just trusting what he can do. It's not what you can do in your faith, it's your ability to trust what he can do because he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's standing before them and he's talking. Think how strong a statement Jesus makes. All authority. What audacity does he have to say something outlandish like that? Well, if you died and rose again the third day, you could probably say a few things you wanted to say. And this is what he chose to say. Of all the things Jesus chose to say, he narrowed it down to this. I have all authority in heaven and earth. I have it. And no one <clears throat> would be rolling their eyes and guessing if this is another big, cool statement Jesus is making. He, he's saying, man, when you predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, people start listening. And they, they, that gives you all authority in heaven and earth to believe what you say. Jesus' last words are focused and very clearly launch this gathering, these assemblies and these congregations around the world. And it says in Matthew 19, uh, 28, 19 through 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. Think about this. He, he stand there with those 120 possibly standing in front of them saying this, and he says to them, I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. And then he leaves. Right? I'm with you. So what is he with you? It's, here's how he's with you. He's never changed his mission. He's never changed his word. And he's never lost his authority. That's all, that's all he needs. He's got a mission. He's got his word. And he has all authority. I, I was reading this last week. And I read about Benjamin Tim just a week ago. Benjamin Tim, he's a Bible interpreter and translator. And he was translating in Cameroon in this uh, tribe trying to do, write 
the uh, New Testament in this language of this tribe. And he's the second guy who was murdered in his home by these men in Cameroon. And he died last Sunday. And he was translating, he actually just translated the New Testament into their language. Somebody's going to know Jesus because of him. He left five children behind. But there was a man just two months ago died the same way in his home. They, they, it, it was a brutal murder. And all I can say is you're not going to stop this bus. You're not going to stop it. And people who believe that they can stop it just need to look at the life of Paul and said it just didn't work. <laughs> he was the best hope they had for stopping it. Jesus wanted us to go all into all the world and make Jesus followers into all the world. The first and the second and following chapters of Acts, you can see the reaction of Jesus' words in their hearts and the church exploded. These ecclesias popped up all over the place. And they had a four-point message, which I think Pastor John mentioned already. And it was, you killed him, God raised him, we saw him, ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Tell him you're sorry. And thousands of people came to know the Lord. And this gathering, this community of believers was born. And this huge movement was not centered on truth claims. It was based upon an event that Jesus came to life. And about two years after this big movement of God, things started changing, happening. And, and the movement stopped moving. And the gathering stopped growing. And it was a slowdown. And Paul enters the picture, chapter 9. And he is, goes to Jerusalem, talks to the guys. He goes, guys, this thing slowed down too much. We've got to get this thing on the right track. We've got to move in the right direction because it's slowed down. And he says, here's how I'll make a deal. You guys go talk to Jews and I'll talk to everybody else. And so Paul started going on this journey and entered all the big ports that he could go to and started starting small ecclesias all over the areas and start growing. And then Paul eventually comes back to Rome where he is about to face his death. It's the second time. This Saul of Tarsus, this enemy of the church, of the ecclesia, the enemy of the movement of God becomes a leading role and leading person in all of this. And he's in prison. And he's sitting in Rome. And he has written letters to Thessalonica. And he wrote letters to Colossae. And he wrote to other Romans. And he, he wrote these letters hoping they would get to the right people. And wouldn't you like to be able to translate back in that time? Wouldn't you like to be in the cell with him as he walks out of that cell and he's walking down the road of these, I, all we have now are ruins. But actually this was right down this road right over here. It's the road that Paul walks down toward his, his death to outside the community. And it is there and you're walking to him say, hey Paul, hey I want you to know right now it looks horrible. But I want you to know I'm, it's 2,000 years later and you had a big part of my life. Hey Paul, you're, you're about to go and it's going to be like two, two minutes for you but it's 2,000 years for us but you're going to meet a guy named Benjamin Tim and he gave his life 
for the very same thing you're giving your life for. I want you to tell him hi. I didn't get to meet him here on this earth, but I want you to give him a hug. And as Paul is walking down this road, you're just going, hey, Paul, I know all this cool stuff, but look right over there to that, that circus of Nero and all of the things that's going on over there. I want you to know that that Colosseum where they're feeding all your brothers in Christ to the, to the lions and everything, one day that's going to be covered by this beautiful building. I want you to see that beautiful building. And it's called, it's named after your buddy Peter. <laughs> and this great cathedral is going to be there. And in all of the city where there were crosses, where people were, have died, there's going to be crosses to magnify this one cross where Jesus died. And there's not going to be any question at all that the capital of Christianity at one time is going to be right here. You think you're passing it all up. But people are going to come from all over the world to be amazed, not only what it looks on the outside, but to look on the inside of it and see how beautiful it is and how magnificent it is. And there'll be very few buildings in the whole world that will be adorned just as that in this. And instead of the icons of these Greek gods and all of this, there is going to be these incredible icons of the men. You're going to be one of them, Paul, that people are going to go. They're not going to come and say, where was Julius Caesar buried? They're going to say, where was... Where were you born, buried? Where did you die? Just, the world's going to have this incredible interest of, of knowing what you're doing, what's happening. And here's, and Paul, I, I want you to know this, and, and the grammatic line of this next part is not that good, but people will read your letters to the places you've written them in. Over 1,200 different languages it will be written in. Paul, you, you didn't make a mistake. You didn't fail. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not sure you got any feedback from all the people that you poured into, but I want you to know this church has not stopped. Nobody stopped this bus. No one's got in the way and no one can get in the way. And I want you to know this too, Paul, that Caesar Augustus, he's going to be mentioned, but it's just a footnote of the name of Jesus being born on this earth. He gets a little bleep of the portion of history of being the guy who is kind of leading. And he said, it's just Paul, he's not going to have anything. This guy who's scaring, terrifying, putting people on poles and pouring tar on their head and setting them on fire. And he looks like he's so dominant and that he's going to do this. But I want you to know, he's just going to have this little morsel of mention in a greater story of Jesus Christ and what Jesus wants to do. Paul, I want you to know that that before you go to your death, uh, you need to know that one day parents will name their, their children Peter and Paul, and they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. <laughs> they're not even get mention of it. Paul, I want you to know that, that what you started in this movement of God that He is giving you, that is a real movement, and those people who paid a price it's to share this goodness of God. And it says in Matthew 16, 18, again, it says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I, I, and I appreciate this morning as you led worship. Lisa, is that correct? That, that you just, that's what you were talking about. This, he, God's not over uh, helping you and stepping into your world and stepping into your life. He's going to build His church. 
He's going to build His ecclesia and His people. And that's what Jesus does. He builds His people. And the cause of Christ will never be limited to the death of His saints. There is no stopping this bus. Jesus' Spirit will inhabit it. He is engaging you in the bigger happening on this earth. It is not the weather, the political agenda, wars, or struggles of man. Jesus said, nothing's going to stop me from till the end of this world. Nothing's going to stop what I'm doing. I can tell you why I know God is moving right now. Because we're still here. And He hadn't come back. And until He comes back, He's still moving. Today's your day to be bold and confess that you receive not only what Jesus has done for you on the cross, but that you accept today the presence of Christ to guide you and empower you to establish ecclesias all over the world. You and I have been invited to gather in a gathering, in an assembly, a congregation, a great movement of God, and nothing is going to stop it. Nothing is going to stop it. Listen, chapel, you're not done. You're not finished. I, I, I see people in this room, and they're not dead. I walked, I walked down the sidewalk this morning back, and God said, they're not finished. They're not finished. And some of you poured into this church, and you poured into this, and maybe there's been some distraction and some painful events. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, it's not over. Man, there's some, God is wanting to do something. Would you, would you just bow your heads with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are moving. We, we sometimes get distracted from it. We allow our emotions to get attached to things that are not worthwhile or worth it. And God, we, we allow ourselves to emotionally de, uh, detach from the things that need to get our emotions. And this morning, you're just saying there's a gathering right here in Keller, Texas that has the hand of God on it. And it's an ecclesia, and it was meant to never be stopped. And God, you want to do something and demonstrate your goodness. You want to demonstrate your power, but you want to demonstrate your love. And God, I pray right now you would blow these doors open. That God, you would set men free in this place, that this would be known for a house of freedom. God, that you would just take the limits off the lack of understanding, the lack of education, the lack of experience. God, that does not hinder you. And God, we ask, move freely. Have power in this house. And move among your people today because we confidently stand and know that you're in charge. You have all authority. God, we give you thanks for it. And we ask that, God, you would give us direction. Give us uh, your power, God. Give us your demonstration, Lord God. And if there's been any reason for us holding back, I pray right now, push us in the pool. God, get us in the game. It's time to move out and to move into what you're saying. And we give you all the thanks and praise for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's give God thanks this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.